Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, a Business Examiner News Group podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode's special guest is the CEO of the Immigrant Employment Council of British Columbia. Our conversation covers the important role immigration plays in our economy, opportunities for businesses to leverage this highly talented workforce, commentary on the state of employment in Canada, and much more. Our conversation starts now. Hi, I'm Patrick McKenzie. I'm the CEO of the Immigrant Employment Council of BC. Uh, We work with employers across the province to help them make better use of the immigrant skills and talent that comes to the province. Awesome, Patrick. Well, I really appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to jumping into this conversation with you. I found out about your organization uh, through a, a release that came through that your organization had a role to play with an announcement from the federal government. And I'm wondering if you can just give a very glossy overview of that as to kind of what was announced, and then we'll just, we'll kind of march from there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were very lucky to have uh, Sean Frazier, Minister of uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, join us last week uh, to make an announcement around changes they're making to strengthen the immigration system. Uh, You know, Canada's uh, struggled with some immigration backlogs uh, recently, and uh, the department is looking to hire uh, many more people uh, to help process these applications so that immigrants and businesses will get faster service. Canada has a, you know, an immigration system that is the envy of the world. Truly, it does. This isn't just rhetoric. Um, I'm going to a meeting in Germany next week where that's essentially what I expect to hear. And and I do hear internationally from folks when I point out a problem in the system, they're shocked uh, that there is a problem in the system that they think is otherwise uh, pristine. Uh, But it's a great system. Uh, But there are ways in which we could do it better, uh, like anything. And, And one of the I think one of the things that as a country we need to strive to do better is put employers closer to the center of economic selection. Because ultimately, if we're bringing in workers, you know, and that's a big part of the system, is like the federal skilled worker program and and some of the other pieces out there, uh, provincial nominee programs uh, generally as well. Um, If we're looking to bring in workers, who better to say what workers we need than the people who are actually putting them to work? Uh, And so I think as a country, we have many of the pieces already in place to be able to to build a system that lets us do that. Uh, It's just a matter of coordinating them a bit more and perhaps uh, improving on some of the pieces. Excellent news, I think, for British Columbians and Canadians in general. Um, I'm wondering if you can flush it out a little bit in terms of what you think the impact of this is going to be on the business community of the province, this expected increase in migration uh, to BC. For sure. Well, it, and you talk about an increase in, in migration. There absolutely is uh, there been massive increases in the numbers of immigrants coming to Canada. Uh, it certainly slowed down uh, a bit over uh, COVID because of uh, challenges in uh, movement across borders. But last year, Canada accepted more permanent residents than they ever have in one year. Last time, I think it was 1913, uh, we'd uh, brought in 401,000 uh, people. Uh, and, but we were giving away farms. We were populating the West uh, back then. And so uh, what does that mean now? Uh, you know, what are we populating? And really, we're populating the country and we're bringing uh, more people in who bring ideas uh, and skills and abilities to help you know, grow the economy, go to work for Canadian companies that are in desperate need of talent. 
uh, and uh, in many cases start their own companies, uh, but then otherwise just build the communities that we have. Awesome. Yeah, and it's very exciting. I know from our clients uh, and audience in general, the number one uh, challenge by far for most businesses is is labor um, across the board. And so it's it's welcome news. Um, I'm wondering if you have anything uh, further even just to flush that out about how businesses can benefit uh, from this migration. Uh, obviously, just the, um, the new employee pool that they can draw from, but even the diversity in new ideas for their business. Uh, you know, developing the culture from 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 fresh perspectives, that type of thing. No, oh, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, I think one of the most stark numbers that we should keep in mind is uh, about seven eight years ago, the Royal Bank of Canada issued a report that said that there there was basically it was, there was a cost to the economy of about fifty billion dollars a year through immigrant underemployment. So these are folks who have come to Canada. We chose them because of their human capital, because of their ability. Uh, in many cases, you know. People come through other streams as well, so the family reunification, humanitarian streams. But of the people who chose to come to Canada, and Canada chose them too, uh, many of them were not working to their full potential, and uh, and and there's a there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, oftentimes, uh, we talk about a, a, you know, a language barrier. Folks may not be able to communicate in English or French at a, the level needed for a given occupation. Talk about foreign credential recognition a lack of Canadian experience or a lack of networks just to be even to be able to navigate the labor market. And so those are the, those are the big challenges that both employers and immigrants themselves have identified for decades as to as to why they've not been participating fully in the labor market or why employers have not been hiring uh, from the immigrant talent pool. And so for employers to benefit from these increased numbers uh, that are that are coming here Really, it just it takes a moment just to step back and say, "All right, we are in need. You know, we are in need on the shop floor. We are in need at the, at the workplace. Where haven't we been looking? And and what could we be doing a little bit differently to try and attract a different sort of talent pool uh, or from a different talent pool? You know, you look the unemployment levels are at historic lows. Job participation, sort of workforce participation, I think in the in the twenty four to fifty five cohort is is essentially full, uh, like full employment there. So um, who else could we be looking for? Who else could employers be looking for? I, I run into the same challenges in my own organization in finding talent. You know, and, I, and I know to look at some of these sort of under, uh, you know, undermined, uh, underused uh, pockets uh, that are out there. And I sympathize with employers because, you know, oftentimes, especially the way the economy is set up, I think it's 96, 97% of BC employers are small to medium-sized enterprises. They don't have big HR departments. Um, oftentimes, you know, the, it's the, the CEO is also, you know, is also the, the bookkeeper, is also doing all the other work uh, that, that's involved in there, the HR too. And so um, organizations like mine, uh, we want to be able to step in and help and offer some tangible tools uh, to help them think through what does it mean to look for uh, immigrant talent. Uh, and then how to hire them, you know, recruit them, hire them, and retain them. The data shows that you know, diverse work, the more diverse workforces are actually more profitable. Uh, they increase revenue, uh, and it, like it's not just a lower wage thing. It's it's actual increase in innovation, increase in revenue. Sort of the the farther along, sort of the innovation spectrum uh, that a, a business might be considered, actually, the greater the return. Even so, upwards of eight nine percent, as opposed to say one and a half two percent growth. Interesting. 
Well, that's awesome. That's, that's tremendous uh, information. I would say actionable information. Something that stuck out uh, in your one of your, your earlier responses here was just about helping the immigrants reach their full potential because sometimes there is the, you know, whether it is a language barrier or a skills gap or whatever, with your focus being on the employer, do you play a bit of a, a stopgap role in kind of upskilling or helping these immigrants to be able to, to bridge that gap? Yeah, in, in a kind of way we do. So part of it is tools directly for the employer, but part of what we do, they're tools for the newcomer uh, to help them understand how to present themselves to an employer. You know, again, ultimately, the employer is the ultimate gatekeeper. Uh, and and uh, one of the programs that we have, uh, it's a program called FAST. It's an acronym for Facilitating Access to Skilled Talent. And we develop this in partnership with employers and with training institutions. So the question we were asking was, you know, if, if we have folks who are underemployed, how do we identify the tangible skills that they have and give them a pathway to plug it into the labor market. You know, so there was one stream that we built with BCIT and the Industry Training Authority was a part of it as well uh, for carpenters. And so we can assess a person uh, who is coming to Canada. We don't care how they learned the skills. They could have learned it through formal training, through on-the-job training, uh, or at their grandparents' knee. we We don't care. We just want to know, do you know it? And we can assess that and we can determine what they know, but we can also determine what pieces are missing uh, relative to what's required in the Canadian context. And so for a case where an immigrant would go through it and they don't necessarily demonstrate all of the skills required to be a carpenter, we don't tell them like it's a pass fail. What we say is, okay, you're not a carpenter. If you want to be, here are your training options to go there. But based on what you've shown us, we know that you can work in concrete. You can do vertical form work, horizontal form work. These are the types of jobs you can do with those skills. And so give them that pathway to maximum use of the skills they already have with an option to upgrade if they want to. But then at the same time, we present that information in a way that resonates with the employer. Uh, So then the employer actually knows how to compare this individual against a Canadian sort of born, educated, trained individual. So it's providing that really critical context for both parties to the equation. Awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, that information. It's definitely just seeing a a tremendous amount of value and even just getting excited because I think, as I mentioned earlier, we hear labor shortage constantly. Now we'll get into the skilled labor side of things uh, uh, momentarily, but like it's, there's, a near infinite's the probably the wrong word, but if you were trying to have a splashy headline, there's if you're in the trades or in a lot of different roles in BC, you have almost have unlimited work opportunities if you're committed and and you know you have reasonable competency. So very exciting. Um, this uh, follow up is a little bit uh, it's more of a, a commentary thing. There is just there's a straight up shortage across the board in all in all uh, jobs uh, in BC especially. And I'm wondering if you if you have any thoughts on just the role that immigration can play in that in general, uh, because there's certainly just challenges with domestic workers sometimes not wanting to work or, you know, there's a lot of you know, different uh, trends on social media right now. And so I'm just wondering if uh, if you think, you know, immigration is the solution uh, for kind of p- for progress in our, in our country. Well, I'd say that immigration is part of the solution. Right? Uh, we don't really want to look at any one thing as a silver bullet. It's, you know, the labor market's a very complex beast. 
Um, this is one of the, I think this is one of the more important things that policymakers and advocates need to keep in mind is that immigration is absolutely important. If you look back at the labor market growth over the last decade, last two decades, immigration has formed, has really been a significant part of that. And in a number of years, the growth has almost entirely come from immigration. So there's not that domestic supply of workers that's coming in. The demographics are clear, right? We know where the population's going. Uh, we're sort of, you know, where the, um, you know, I guess the, it's sort of the tailing end of the of the baby boomers are in their late fifties right now. Uh, automotive service technicians, uh, like there's something like 45, 55% of them ready to retire in the next, you know, few years, really, just based on their on the on the demographics and the profession. So. Absolutely, immigration can, can play a part in that. And I think that we need to look at immigration in the context of the labor market overall. And when I say that, I'm talking about the, the economic streams uh, in particular. You say, how are they going to form part of the solution? And so part of, I think, immigration is a, is a logical solution to immediate needs in the labor market. Like, my goodness, we, you know, we need more carpenters. We can't train you know, 50,000 new carpenters uh, in the next six months so, or in the next two years. What are we going to do? Well, you can look overseas and see who might be able to come in and fill that gap. But then at the same time, you have to be having conversations with the training institutions, uh, with the employers, with apprenticeship opportunities. So you can say, okay, well, this is the, this is the holistic approach to what we're going to do. I think if you set any one of those up as a silver bullet, you've failed and you undermine confidence in its ability to contribute to the solution. Do you notice any trends in terms of the, the skill sets of the individuals immigrating to, to British Columbia? Is there any themes that pop out to you? Well, you know, Canada's immigration uh, system has typically placed a high value on high human capital. So you're looking at really skilled people generally. Some people are under the mistaken assumption that Canada brings in tons of low-skilled people that really don't contribute. And that's not the case. Uh, it, the, I mean, the data shows that immigrants, uh, recent immigrants tend to be much more highly educated than the Canadian population as a whole. Uh, and it's because of how we, it's because of the emphasis that we place on formal education and, and, uh, and, and work experience. Now, I think while that's important and it plays a really uh, critical role in addressing some of the skills needs that we have in the country. I think we also need to step back and say, okay, can our selection system actually choose folks who are in highest demand in lower skilled occupations? Uh, so where are some of the, you know, some of the warehouse workers, the retail workers, um, you know, even truthfully, and you talk about skilled trades earlier, um, even laborers on the job sites, we're finding a shortage there. Now, that's not a job one would have ever assumed uh, you'd have difficulty finding people you know, to, to fill the positions. And yet, that's what we're hearing. Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, one, a quick question, too, about the upskilling or the, the education gap side of things. Who pays for that? So if, if you are in responsible for, for partnering with the employer, enabling these opportunities for the employer, and someone does need to go to a, a training institute to become, to increase their their carpentry skills how does the funding for that work just out of curiosity so i mean the funding for an organization like mine comes from a number of different sources you know government foundations uh, and then other sort of uh, other you know, businesses do pay uh, as well in some cases for what we are doing 
so if you're a permanent resident and you want to get one of these assessments, like I talked about earlier, so the, the skills assessment under FAST, that's covered. Like we, nobody, like the government has already paid for that. Uh, and so that's, you're, you're taken care of there. When it comes to the upskilling, I mean, that's ultimately the individual's responsibility. If they want to upskill, then, then they're going to have to find a way to do that. There are programs out there. There are groups like um, uh, Windmill Microlending that will lend uh, money to newcomers so that they can upskill or have credentials sort of uh, assessed and whatnot. But otherwise, it really comes down to sort of that uh, that individual's uh, enfranchisement. Okay, awesome. Um, and then the, the, one of the, the final notes on this on this kind of topic here is, you know, just looking at, at things like racism and discrimination, do you prepare immigrants at all for the things that they may face, make them aware of their rights? Do you notice any kind of trends in terms of highly skilled individuals from other countries challenged in finding work opportunities? No, uh, absolutely. You know, preparing, helping an individual, helping the immigrant better understand what they're walking into, critical. Yeah. Um, in, and in many cases, the best work is done before someone arrives in Canada. And I'd say the very best work would be done before someone even applies to come to Canada. And we really help them make that informed decision. Uh, because ultimately, when it comes to, when, when it comes to immigration, what we're looking for is to create opportunities for individuals so that they can sort of realize their best, uh, but then ultimately sort of contribute more broadly. In talking to the employers and the mentors that we work with over the years, they've pointed out some issues uh, that have come along. And, and one of them was around actual job readiness. And so it was immigrants who had taken uh, labor market sort of training courses and sort of workplace prep courses. And so in theory, we all, should all have been running from the same baseline of, of workplace readiness. But they saw, they said that they were seeing a, a tremendous unevenness to how ready folks were. And so we started to dig into that comment and, the, and those observations. And, and ultimately, we just said, okay, well, what are your deal breakers? So what is it? What makes you say no to an individual that you're interviewing, Canadian or otherwise? Like, what things do you either see or don't see that makes you say no? And they told us. Uh, and so a lot of it really came down to the soft skills uh, or the enabling skills, you know, depending on, uh, on how you, uh, you want to frame them these days. And how people even just present themselves. That's sort of personal marketing uh, in an interview uh, process. And so, you know, we heard them and we then worked with employers. We worked with our community-based partners as well to develop a training program uh, for immigrants. So it's all online, uh, seven uh, modules, uh, eight uh, workshops. And we can run newcomers through this sort of series of programs says, this is what an employer is looking for from you. This is, if you want success, this is what they want to see. And uh, and it, it's turned out really well. We were piloting it a couple of years ago, uh, launched it actually just as the world shut down. Uh, so digital options were, uh, were, <laughs> were really being sought after uh, at that point. So that worked out, like that was a great timing for us, but it was great timing for the sector as well, because then there was this new offering out there. And so we have, uh, I think it's 50 plus partners across Canada who deliver this to immigrants. Uh, and, uh, and it seems to be working. Awesome. I want to finish off and just give you an you know, opportunity. If businesses who are looking to take advantage of your program or the programs that you offer, what is the best way for them to, uh, to, to get involved and leverage your, your capabilities? Sure thing. Well, I mean, the first place to stop would be our website. So that's uh, 
iecbc.ca, uh, not to be confused with the insurer, uh, but so it's uh, Immigrant Employment Council of British Columbia. So that's a, that's a first stop. And, and you know, one of our strengths is in our partnerships. And so we work with 10 like-minded immigrant employment councils across the country to pool our resources and, and pool the tools uh, that we've uh, created so that if uh, our partner in Halifax has created tools that would be useful to someone in Vernon, they can have access to that. Uh, and, uh, and so that's another one of our, uh, again, one of, it's sort of an online hub that we have. Uh, but we're also very happy to personalize the service for uh, for employers and, and pull them into some of the other work that we're doing. So uh, certainly to reach out to us uh, through that, we'd be happy to work with uh, any sort of like-minded uh, organizations out there. Tremendous. I appreciate that. Um, the, the the last kind of uh, questions that I have for you is just about your background. Um, you know, I went through kind of what's available on LinkedIn, some of your time with the with the federal government there, but wondering if you can just kind of give me a glossy overview of how you ended up uh, with IECBC. Sure. So it's uh, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a long story, I suppose. But I grew up in Nova Scotia. Uh, I grew up in a, just a sort of a, a wonderful family. So, you know, I say we we made the Cleavers look dysfunctional. Uh, just as I was very had a really fortunate childhood. A couple of brothers and a sister, and, and my parents out there, and you know, all very close. Um, I had the opportunity to, uh, after university, sort of, uh, join the fe- provincial government in Nova Scotia, then the federal government, um, and then uh, moved to Ottawa for a bit and uh, was able to work uh, sort of uh, in areas of uh, Indigenous affairs, uh, for Canadian heritage, around Canadian identity, and then moved into immigration, uh, where I was working on settlement policy and uh, as well as international policy. and. Uh, Really, really enjoyed it. And I uh, got a call out of the blue one day asking if I'd move out here. And uh, as luck would have it, I, I married a British Columbian uh, when I was in Ottawa. So she was excited to come out here. And uh, and yeah, and so uh, so here we came. It was supposed to be a three-year stint. Uh, that was in 2008. And funny enough, the very first uh, work event I went to when I moved out here was the launch of the Immigrant Employment Council of BC. And so then... You know, fast forward uh, X number of years, uh, so well nine years, and uh, and then I became CEO. And, uh, and I've always liked the organization, uh, always appreciated the way they went about business, and uh, worked with government and employers. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing the East Coast background there because I've been hearing the R's roll a little bit, and I was wondering <laughs> where you were coming from. That's awesome. I uh, I will skip through what the the. The second question, the only thing I was curious about is, do you have a piece of leadership advice you'd pass on to other listeners? Well, you know, I, I think the, the most important thing to, to remember is that it's generally not a zero-sum game. You know, there's, there's room for everybody to share in growth. Uh, and oftentimes, and even in the not-for-profit sector where we're all, you know, in theory doing God's work, uh, we can get a little territorial. And, uh, but it's really important to remember that there are so many others out there that bring perspectives to the work that you just never will. And that's not just speaking about diversity from an immigration standpoint. It's just just generally different organizational standpoints can help to make us more impactful. And uh, and I've been fortunate to be surrounded by folks who who think that way. Okay. Tremendous. Appreciate it. Going to jump into the final four and get you out of here. We're right up uh, on the 30-minute time limit here. So uh, four questions we ask each interviewee. Do you have a favorite book that sticks out? Fiction, nonfiction, no parameters on what it can be. No favorite book. Um, I'd say 
one of my uh, well, Eric Larson is an author I really enjoy. So uh, let's see, in the Garden of the Beasts uh, is one of it's a, it's a historical fiction. I love the stuff that he does. Awesome. Best personal advice you've received, and it doesn't have to be attributed to an individual. It could be a theme uh, over the years. Don't assume that things are about you. Uh, you know, just remember that other people have a lot going on in their lives, uh, and uh, you know, it's it's probably not about you. <laughs> I love it. After uh, <laughs> a piece of software you cannot live without, aside from Microsoft Office and your email. It's funny. I'd, I'd love to be able to say that it's something that makes me a tremendous, you know, uh, business leader or, or whatever organizational leader. Uh, I love Waze uh, because it it, it, uh, it I, I've, it's a relatively new to me, and uh, I just find it a really helpful app when I'm trying to get someplace in a hurry. Um, and uh, Team Snap helps me keep the kids' activities uh, in in order. So you said Team Snap. Team Snap, yeah. All right. It's, a first uh, for like, both of those. I like ways myself. I've not heard of Team Snap, but that's awesome. Well, Team Snap is like for your kids' baseball teams, soccer teams. So I know when the practices are and everything. Oh. It, it keeps me. Uh, it, it it keeps me from disappointing my children more than necessary. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question here to get you out of here: favorite restaurant in BC? You know, I'm gonna have to say the Joey's restaurants. Service is always fantastic. And I'd say Joey's Shipyard or Joey Berard in particular. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. Sponsored by Coastal Community Credit Union. Who's helping you take care of your financial health? Visit cccu.ca for more information.